This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the Florida Democratic Party says it will return the interest-free loan it obtained from the feds under the Paycheck Protection Plan. Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Fried says it wasn't supposed to go to political organizations. But there are several Republicans who had no qualms about applying for those federal loans, including the incoming president of the state Senate. As COVID spiked over the past few weeks, the governor responded by saying, don't look at the new cases, look at the low number of fatalities compared to some other states. We set a new record Thursday with 120 fatalities reported in a single day. Florida's COVID-19 death toll is now at least 4,111. Dr. Anthony Fauci says states with a serious COVID problem should consider shutting down all over again. And Fauci says he's not picking on Florida. The U.S. Labor Secretary Eugene Scalia says the economy is coming back, but he says it won't happen until kids are back in the classroom. Insert Labor Sec headline. Today on Sunrise In-Depth, we check out a new program to help feed Floridians in rural areas who face all manner of financial hardships during the pandemic. COVID-19 has resulted in a significant increase in the unemployment rate in Florida, which has led to more and more families visiting food banks and pantries for assistance. Many of these programs have been unable to meet this increase in demand. We'll also check out your calendar of events and check in with a Florida woman who's in jail for cooking a snack in the wrong kitchen. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, July 10th. There were almost 9,000 newly confirmed cases of coronavirus Thursday, which brings Florida's total so far to 232,718. We also set a new record for the number of fatalities reported in a single day, 120. Total number of deaths in Florida now 4,111. Those numbers do not seem to discourage Ron DeSantis. Florida may be an epicenter for COVID-19, but the governor says most of these new cases are not as serious as the first wave because victims are younger and healthier. We understand um, you know, much more about this virus. Uh, you, should be, um, you should take precautions, but there's no need to be panicked. There's no need to be fearful. Um, we understand the, the situations that make this thing more transmissible. We also understand the groups that are the most at risk for this. You, know, you do have more transmission circulating around the community over the last month, or maybe three or three and a half weeks, a case does not necessarily mean someone's in the hospital or anything like that. It just mean, it means they tested positive. And so uh, I think folks should just view it in the proper context and perspective. Uh, again, I think the message is you know, we need to protect the vulnerable. You know, if you're in those vulnerable age groups or have the comorbidities, you know, be very careful um, about the types of close contact you have. Avoid crowds um, at, at all costs because those are going to be the situations you know, where you're going to be most at risk. And so, you know, we're going to continue to, to, to do a lot of testing, um, but we also understand that um, a lot of the folks who are testing positive, fortunately, uh, have not developed uh, significant symptoms or in many cases, any symptoms. So if we can protect the elderly, continue to protect the long-term care facilities, um, you know, I think we're going to be able to get through this um, in, in as good a way as we can. As Florida contends with a spike, one of America's most trusted experts on infectious disease says states that are facing a surge should consider shutting down all over again. Dr. Anthony Fauci was interviewed by Kate Lyman on the Journal podcast. Be mindful of what happens when you open up and throw caution to the wind. because it could happen to you. Do you think states like Florida and Texas and Arizona threw caution to the wind? No, I don't want to say that because then we got a problem. Then the message is me against you. That's nonsense. So don't even think about my saying that. <laughs> what I'm saying is 
that among the states, and there's admission from within, some states went too fast, some states went according to what the timetable was, but the people in the state didn't listen and just threw caution to the wind. I mean, there was examples where the leaders in the state were saying, okay, we're going to do this in a measured way. And then you see the picture of people crowded at bars with no masks. So, I mean, it's a complicated issue. You don't want to be blaming people. Once you start blaming people, you get off the message of what are you going to do about it to correct it. Check that out. A doctor with diplomatic skills. Rather rare combo, wouldn't you say? U.S. Labor Secretary Eugene Scalia travels to Jacksonville to talk COVID with the Gov. Scalia says the national economy is coming back, but that will only happen when schools are open again. Let me talk briefly about schools. As I say, we're reopening. Uh, we're, we're, we're getting back uh, to our ordinary life as best we can while also uh, contending with the virus. And uh, uh, to me, schools are an essential service. They're an essential service. Uh, we've had our factories uh, in this country open uh, throughout uh, the uh, pandemic. Uh, we've uh, had our grocery stores open. We've now got Americans visiting their doctor and dentist, as we should. Uh, we've even got tattoo parlors open and hair salons. Uh, we're ready to open to our schools. We know how to safely open our workplaces. Uh, there are steps that can be taken that will be successful. And this is important to me as Labor Secretary because of how important having schools open and having children at school is to working men and women. And let me just comment briefly on two populations I think that's especially important for. First, lower income Americans have been hit particularly hard uh, across the country by the measures taken to contend with the virus. Uh, they uh, tend not to have jobs where telecommuting uh, is as easy. Telecommuting is hard enough uh, with uh, children at home and I know there are parents across the country that are getting up extra early uh, to work before the kids are up or staying up extra late to get the work done after the kids go to bed. It's hard, so it's hard enough to telecommute when the kids aren't in school, but for many parents, that's, that's not even an option. And those are lower income parents that we know have been hit harder by the virus and that we think it's particularly important to help get back to work. Uh, and then second, uh, working women. Um, during uh, the economy that we had before the virus came, we actually had a lower unemployment rate for women, adult women, than we did for adult men, uh, which was uh, extraordinary. Uh, unfortunately, that's now flipped uh, because women uh, tend to bear more of the responsibility in a lot of households uh, for childcare. If we don't get our schools open, it's going to be that much harder for working adult women who are facing a higher unemployment rate uh, to get back to work. Governor DeSantis is also pushing for full reopening in August. He says schools will be safe. He also says students and parents who prefer distance learning over the classroom will be accommodated. You know, we spent uh, months saying that there were certain things that were essential. And that included fast food restaurants. It included Walmart. It included Home Depot. Uh, if fast food and Walmart and Home Depot, and look, I do all that, so I'm not, I'm not like looking down on it. But if all that is essential, then educating our kids is absolutely essential. And they have been put to the back of the line in some respects. Florida's done a better job with distance learning, I think, than any other state. But I'll tell you, there's a gap here. There's big gaps around the country. Um, and we need to put them, uh, give them the opportunity to go in person. I could say as a parent, I have a newborn, I have a two-year-old, I have a three-year-old. They're not old enough to go to school, so obviously they're, they won't be, um, you know, in kindergarten or anything coming up. But I would not hesitate putting them in, in terms of the risk, because the risk, fortunately, for, for kids, 
is extremely, extremely low. That data has been verified in virtually every single country, every single state. Um, and we kind of knew that in March, although I think a lot of people is a new virus. I understand, look, my wife was very uh, concerned. I know a lot of parents were just concerned. Um, but now, I mean, that's very, very clear. And obviously, if you have a, a, a kid that's got a significant health issue, we absolutely need to make accommodations for that, and there are different things that, that you can do. The other reason, though, that people said back in March was, well, yeah, it does look like that, 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 that kids are much lower risk, and that is true. CDC, if you look, uh, under 18, substantially less likely to be hospitalized for coronavirus than for seasonal influenza, and that is just abundantly clear. Fatalities way higher with, with influenza for that age cohort. Uh, but there was the concern that, yes, okay, uh, kids are low risk, but maybe they serve as vectors and end up spreading it further in the community. Uh, well, that's been studied in a bunch of different countries, and, and it's been shown every single time that they don't serve as significant vectors for this like they do with influenza for whatever reason. And when they do get infected, it's usually an adult infecting uh, the, the children. So I have no doubt we can do this safely. But I also told the secretary or the commissioner of education, I said, look, you know, different parents have different calculations. If a parent wants to opt for virtual education, they should absolutely be, be able to do that. We shouldn't be forcing them to do, to do any types of decisions. But I'm confident if you can do Home Depot, if you can do Walmart, if you can do these things, we absolutely can do the schools. The president wants schools to reopen in August, and he's even threatening to withhold funding from states that don't. The Florida Democratic Party reverses course and says it will return an interest-free loan from the federal government that was part of the Paycheck Protection Program. The state party applied for and received the loan, which was listed as somewhere between $350,000 and a million dollars, shortly after Congress approved the program back in April. But after the list of loan recipients went public this week, several Democratic lawmakers criticized their own party for taking money meant to help small biz and nonprofits during the pandemic. Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed, the only Democrat holding statewide office in Florida, says she's glad to hear the money is going back. Uh, returning the funds was absolutely the right decision to have been made. Uh, I only wish that the Trump administration was as responsive when it came to actually funding PPP. Uh, as far as getting the money out to the to small businesses, uh, making sure that there was actually uh, different parameters put in place. You saw a lot of our big corporations get significant amount of money uh, and a lot of our small businesses um, didn't get the funding, uh, were underfunded, and really would have wished that there had been more responsiveness at the front end to help so many of these small businesses and put more parameters in place. The Democratic Party may be returning the money, but a lot of Republicans had their hands out too, and they're not giving it up. Senator Wilton Simpson's asbestos removal company obtained an interest-free loan for somewhere between $350,000 and a million dollars. So did a senior home care company run by the family of Congressman Matt Gates, a fervent supporter of the president. State Representative Jay Trumbull's business and State Senator Joe Gruder's accounting firm also receiving loans of at least $150,000. Gruder's is chairman of the Florida Republican Party. Bad news for everyone who loves silly costumes and naked people in body paint. Fantasy Fest, the annual 10-day party in Key West, has been canceled because of COVID-19. There had been speculation the city might take over hosting the event this year because it pumps so much money into the local economy, but organizers of the event have confirmed the cancellation. Fantasy Fest began in 1979. This year's theme would have been the Roaring 2020s and Future Fictions. As if reality wasn't weird enough. Next up on Sunrise, a deep dive on a new program to help feed Floridians who are struggling to make ends meet during the pandemic. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. 
The Florida Hospital Association has released the OPEN plan, designed to allow Florida's safe resumption of elective surgeries and procedures. OPEN stands for O, observe the COVID-19 rate of community occurrence. P, prevent transmission. E, establish the process to restore elective surgeries and procedures. And N, network with all healthcare providers. You can read the OPEN plan today at FHA.org. Welcome back to Sunrise. Millions of Floridians suffer from what's called food insecurity. Basically, that means they don't have access to enough of the right kinds of food needed for a healthy lifestyle, and the pandemic has made things worse. So Florida Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed says it's more important than ever to reach these people, especially in rural areas, by expanding the food banks. COVID has upended so much, including uh, feeding our families. Despite growing 300 plus commodities and enough food to feed 150 million Americans, nearly 3 million Floridians suffer food insecurity, including 850,000 of our children who are unsure where their next meal will come from. Those are pre-COVID numbers. With over 1 million of Floridians unemployed, those numbers are going up every single day. So we had to be creative to meet these needs like opening up 2,500 summer break spot locations all across the state, able to feed all of our children when the schools were closed. And we served over 24 million meals between March and April. Fighting chronic hunger during COVID can take public-private partnerships, especially in harder to reach communities and in the rural communities especially. That is what we are here to discuss today. So we are proud to announce a new grant project thanks to a $100,000 contribution from Walmart Foundation, will help support food banks in primarily rural communities. These food banks and pantries don't receive traditional federal assistance and are in designated rural areas like Highlands, Putnam, Levy, Union, and Walton counties. Food will support operational and infrastructural improvements like capacity for storing and serving food, coaching from IFAS specialists on nutritional education, the program will partner with the nonprofit Farmer Network to provide pre-made produce boxes for distribution at these food banks. This network includes minority, women, veteran, and veteran-owned farms that have donated over 70,000 pounds of fresh produce to seniors and families during COVID. This is a great example of government, private, and nonprofits coming together in a time of need. One of the people who will make this happen is Carla Shelnut. She's vice president of a group called Living Healthy in Florida. Living Healthy in Florida is a collaborative effort among multiple state agencies and organizations to communicate consistent information to Florida's children, families, and seniors about healthy eating, good nutrition, and active living. This innovative solution that will help feed hungry Floridians, decrease commodity waste, and increase the operational capacity of rural food banks and pantries. This work aligns perfectly with the Living Healthy in Florida mission. COVID-19 has resulted in a significant increase in the unemployment rate in Florida, which has led to more and more families visiting food banks and pantries for assistance. Many of these programs have been unable to meet this increase in demand. This grant initiative is going to make a huge impact for several rural food banks and pantries to obtain the infrastructure needed to help meet this demand and increase their capacity to serve. In addition to my role as a Living Healthy in Florida Vice President, I also serve as the Principal Investigator of the UFIFAS Extension Family Nutrition Program, 
which is one of Florida's SNAP-Ed implementing agencies. In SNAP-Ed, we teach families eligible for SNAP benefits to make better nutrition and physical activity decisions. We also help make changes to the environments where SNAP-eligible families eat, live, work, learn, shop, and play to make the healthy choice the easy choice. I'm especially excited that the Family Nutrition Program will be a supporting partner on this initiative. The Family Nutrition Program will lend the expertise of our public health specialists to provide one-on-one -on -one consultations to each participating organization to help them assess their space and identify ways to not only expand their infrastructure, but also to encourage families to make healthier eating choices. This work also aligns perfectly with UFIFAS extension priorities to increase access to healthy food for all Floridians. We do this work by partnering with our communities and we're excited about this grant. Partnering with these food pantries will make a difference in many lives and we are honored to play a small role in it. Mary Foy is a former Highlands County Commissioner who serves on the board of the Heartland Food Bank. She believes this will make a real difference in her community. Food banks are having a very difficult time across Florida and particularly in Highlands County and in our service area. Poverty is, um, has been very real here and continues to be for many, many years. I was involved in human services for over 17 years. So I was acutely aware of the food insecurity issues that we have. And now that of course has been further compounded by the COVID situation that we are in. So uh, the opportunity to participate with all of you, we couldn't be more thrilled. Um, we started our food bank about 10 years ago and um, our goal was nothing more than just, we wanted to make sure that nobody goes hungry. And that continues to be our mantra. So um, our, as our families struggle daily uh, under normal conditions, it's only gr greatly intensified now. We are in Highlands County, Avon Park and Sebring. Um, both have again made the top 10 poorest communities in Florida. So that's not a, a statistic we're proud of, but we're trying to do something about it. And with your help, we will achieve that goal. The grant program will also partner with a nonprofit farmer network called the Center for Sustainable Agricultural Excellence and Conservation. They'll provide pre-made produce boxes to food banks for distribution to families. Your calendar of events begins at 8.30 when the Florida Board of Respiratory Care holds an online meeting. The Economic Estimating Conference meets at 9 to analyze issues related to the national economy. The Board of Massage Therapy meets in conference call at 9. So does the Board of Podiatric Medicine. Physicians for Social Responsibility will hold a press conference at 10 outside the governor's mansion, delivering thousands of petitions calling out the state's response to COVID. Organizers say they're bringing plenty of props, including tombstones, a coffin, and even the Grim Reaper himself. We're talking about the panhandle lawyer who's been dressing up in black and bringing a scythe to the beach to warn about the dangers of coronavirus. The USDA releases the final monthly forecast for the citrus growing season at noon. Friday is the deadline for political committees to file reports showing their financial activity through July 3rd. Today is also the reporting deadline for candidates who've opened accounts to run for state offices in 2022. And on Saturday at 10 in the morning, the Lake County Democratic Party holds an online forum for three candidates running in House District 32 for the chance to face incumbent Anthony Sabatini. Finally today, a Florida woman is facing criminal charges for making a sandwich and ramen noodles in a stranger's house. The occupants were stunned to find 33-year-old Patricia Junk of Cottage Hill cooking in their kitchen. She took off. Officers found her about a block away 
eating a cup of noodles. Junk told Escambia County deputy she had an open invitation from the guy called Rabbit to use his place, but all the residents denied knowing her or letting her inside. She's charged with burglary and petty theft. Bail is set at more than $10,000 for only $5 in damage. Two bucks for the noodles, three dollars for the loaf of bread. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. Oh,